In the winter of 1978, when I was five years old, I was kidnapped from the children's play area behind the Para Palace Hotel in Istanbul. I had been playing with my seven-year-old brother, Richard, under the eye of a guard from my father's company, when four gunmen burst onto the scene, pulling me from the slide, brushing Richard aside, and shooting our guard to death. A chloroformed rag was clamped over my face, and I was thrown into a waiting car. At the outskirts of the city, semi-conscious and hysterical, I was stuffed into a potato sack and transferred to a farm truck in which, under a load of manure, I was taken to an isolated house in a remote farming village near the Bulgarian border. My kidnappers demanded a $5 million ransom from my father's employer, Driscoll Construction Enterprises, a Los Angeles-based company then engaged in repairing and extending the military runways at the Istanbul Atatürk Airport. Despite the frantic pleas of my parents, the firm's board of directors held back, and in the end the kidnappers accepted a ransom of $250,000, $75,000 of which was personally raised by my father, the project's on-site engineering superintendent. For this they waited fifty-eight days and nights, during which time I was kept in an unheated, six-by-six-foot underground cell, the rough stone walls of which streamed with moisture and glistened with cockroaches. The furnishings, from beginning to end, consisted of a plank bed bolted to the wall, two blankets, a gallon jug of water sporadically refilled, and a plastic bucket. My largely silent captors, with their frightening eye-slitted black hoods, seemingly had but one English phrase, shut up, and even that they rarely used. My food needs were handled by means of a tray placed in the six-inch high space at the bottom of the heavy wire mesh door, so that I had to go down on my hands and knees to get it, and I generally wolfed it down on the concrete floor, except for the many, many times when I was too ill or too sick at heart to eat. The menu consisted of porridge, rice, root vegetables, and various unidentifiable soups with an occasional goblet of chicken or something like chicken. No utensils, no napkins, and always bananas, so that by the time I was freed all I had to do to throw up was look at one. How often they fed me, or how regularly, I never knew. Because there were no windows, and the light was left on twenty-four hours a day, I had no way of distinguishing day from night, let alone one hour from another. Elimination needs were taken care of by the plastic bucket, which was sometimes emptied in the morning, and sometimes not. When it overflowed or got too smelly, the guard on duty, who naturally would have preferred leaving it for the next shift, usually got angry about it, and I quickly learned to scuttle under the bed whenever the door was swung open, so that cuffing me around required more trouble than it was worth. When I was bad, I was screamed at, threatened, slapped around a little, and shackled to my bed, sometimes with a chain around my ankle, and sometimes by a metal collar locked around my neck. The need for bathing wasn't handled at all. As proof that they had me and that they meant business, the little toe of my left foot was mailed to my parents about a week after they got me. Thank God I have no memory of their actually doing it, so I probably was chloroformed again. I hope so. When I was released on the fifty-ninth day, still in what was left of the clothes I'd been wearing when they took me, doctors found two dozen ulcerating sores on my body as a result of malnutrition and poor hygiene. I had lost nine pounds, more than twenty percent of my body weight. I had gum abscesses, infections in both eyes, and a raging case of dysentery. I was too weak to walk.